Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Amen. Amen. Well, Colossians 2, uh, we'll be in the, the first 10 verses here. But real quick, as we're just kind of as a, a quick backstory, um, Paul's writing this this book. It's one of the the prison epistles, along with um, Philippians, and uh, you know he's he's writing this this from jail. And all the way through chapter one, he encourages those believers in Colossae on who Jesus is. He encourages them in his deity. He encourages them in his death, and he also shares with them how through faith we could be presented holy blameless, and above reproach in his sight. So he shares who Jesus is. He also shares how Jesus is the way to salvation and how it's only through Jesus that we can have salvation. And here in chapter 2, and these really all throughout chapter 2, but even really beginning in these first 10 verses that we're going to look at, Paul will have a, a stern warning about false teachers And then this warning is where he's going to tell them, and by extension, he's going to tell us to remain rooted in Christ. You see, the enemy was hard at work in Colossae with false religion. And I would propose to you that the enemy is hard at work in the church today. The enemy is hard at work in in the church today trying to bring strife and division into the church. And really, I think as we look at the last year, and maybe the last 15 months, whatever it is, that we could all agree that there's probably been some pretty good division that's happened within the body of Christ. Division over things such as politics. Division over things as some people saying, well, there's these conspiracies going on. Even division over agendas and, and how if we, if we agree with a small part of, of what that agenda says, we must agree with all of it. And there's many different things that we could talk about, many different things that we could go into. But really, at the end of the day, what, what's really happened is the enemy's really done a good job of causing division, causing congregations to split, causing uh, even, you know, some churches have, have closed because of splits in their congregation. And so I think we could take a look at tonight's text, and we could really see what false doctrine and and what grabbing onto false things could really cause. But then we're also going to see what our response should be. And so let's pick up Colossians chapter 2 verse 1 says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So this conflict that Paul is speaking about is an inner struggle. And here in this inner struggle, we see Paul's heart for the Lord's people. We see Paul's heart and his hurt for what's going on, because that's what that word conflict really is. It's, it's speaking of an inner struggle. And Paul's sharing, I, I have this conflict in me. I have this hurt in me because of what's going on. And I could tell you as a pastor here, part of the pastoral team, and even, you know, conversations with, with the rest of the pastoral team, including Pastor Ed, that we as, as pastors, we hurt because of what we see going on. 
As we see believers taking their eyes off of the Lord and focusing on what's going on in the world around them. As we see those who, we, who, who had a really strong walk with the Lord and now all of a sudden they've allowed their thoughts on some agenda to take over their thoughts, to take over their heart, to take over their mind. And for all of us, I would have to propose that same question. Do we care about those who are being led away from the Lord? Are those who have already taken their eyes off of Jesus? Does that really, as you think about that, and I'm sure even for some of us as I say that, maybe even names, maybe even faces pop in. Does that cause a conflict in you? Does that cause a hurt in you? Does that cause you to to stop and pray and to think about those around us? And if so, another question is that conflict out of true, genuine care for them? Or is that a conflict simply because they hold a different view than we do? Because they're on the other side of whatever agenda, whatever political party, whatever it is. Do, when we have that conflict in us, when we have that strife in us because of where somebody is at, is it really for the genuine care of that person? And Paul, as he continues here in verse 2, says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul wanting notice, their hearts to be encouraged. You see, downcast Christians are easy prey for the enemy. A discouraged believer becomes easy prey for our adversary. And have you ever noticed it's when we're discouraged, it's when we're hurting, it's when we're down and out that the enemy likes to send those seeds of doubt. Well, does God really love you? How can a loving, caring God allow you to go through this? What is it that that person said about you? Have you ever noticed how it's during those times that we're already down, that we already feel beat down, that those seeds of doubt coming in? If you're here tonight, or maybe even watching online, or you're tuning in tonight on Grace FM, and you're discouraged, you're a discouraged believer, please be encouraged in the Lord. If you're down, God can raise you up. You see, you might be knocked down. You might feel beat down. But in the Lord, you're never knocked out. He's going to raise you up. He's going to bring you up. He's going to encourage you and build you up in Him. For us, do we really have a heart to see those around us encouraged? Are we just making a point? Are we just getting FaceTime? Are we just getting in front of them? Notice, not only does Paul want them to be encouraged, but knit together in love. You see, he was concerned about their unity. 
And as we look at the, the division and the strife and everything that's come within the past several months, how much better would it be if we would come together, if instead of dividing from one another, instead of finding fault in one another, instead of finding issues with one another, if we would just come alongside each other. Because how is it that allowing strife and division to come amongst the body of Christ would point anyone to Christ? Really, what is it that, that we would come and we would go out, maybe even the Lord put it on your heart to step out, to share your faith? You go out, you evangelize. Are you sharing the love of Christ with the coworker? Are you sharing with them, oh, I go to this church and it's great, you should come? And yet, they see you getting caught up. They see you getting caught up in the strife and the division. What about that? would make somebody say, you know what? I want what they have. I want strife. I want division. I wouldn't never say that, would you? We wouldn't, would we? But notice, though, that that knit together is in love. That love should flow in a believer's life. So much that it doesn't make sense to some. So much that to unbelievers, as they see the love that you have for a complete stranger, as they see the love that you have for the person who treated you like junk just yesterday, how they see how you're willing to forgive them, how you're willing to reach out your hand and how you're willing to love them, it wouldn't make sense to them. That, my friends, is the kind of actions that's going to make them say, I want what you have. What is it that you have? We're commanded to love others. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12 says this, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. Increase and abound in love. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 in the New Living Translation words it this way, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. You must show love and love each other deeply with all your heart. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says this. He says, by this, you will know that you are my disciples. If you have love, for one another. If you have love for one another. Just a couple weekends ago, Pastor Kevin Utili was here and he shared a message called the Loving Church. And that's what, that's what he said we are. He said Calvary Church is a loving church. That's how he views us. And that's the view that we want in our own life. We want to be known as the loving church, as the loving disciple, as the loving follower of Christ. Do people know that you love them? And I'm not just talking, yeah, it's easy to show love to our spouses, to our parents, to our kids, to our close friends, those that agree with our point of view. It's easy to show love to them. 
But what about that stranger? What about that awkward guy who's in the next cubicle over? Does he know how much you love him? Does that neighbor who seems to always complain, maybe even call the HOA or the city on you, do they know how much you love them? (laughs) Or even worse, what about the, the president of the HOA? Does the president of the HOA know how much you love them? Can others see the outflow and the outpouring of love in your life? Notice next, he says, attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. You see, Paul was so concerned about their understanding. He wanted them encouraged. He wanted them knit together and growing together in God's truth. Notice how they go together. That as we're encouraged, we're knit together in love. And as a result of being encouraged, being knit together in love, we grow together in God's truth. As we continue on, notice in verse 3, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and and knowledge found only in Christ. If we're searching anywhere else, We're getting the wrong kind of wisdom. We're getting the wrong kind of knowledge. If we're drawing from the media, we're getting the wrong kind of wisdom and knowledge. If we spend our day tuned into Fox News, tuned into CNN, scrolling Facebook, checking out the latest post, looking to get our knowledge and our wisdom from some people we don't even know, from some people we can't even be connected to that we don't even really know exactly where they stand. We're getting the wrong kind of wisdom and knowledge. David Guzek in his commentary words it this way. He says, this is an important idea in Paul's letter to the Colossians. With this, Paul refuted some of the bad teaching troubling the Colossian Christians. They were influenced by teachers who told them to seek the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but not to seek them in Jesus. Paul wrote, you will only find the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus. He has them all. It's not wrong to seek after wisdom and knowledge, but we must seek it all in Jesus. When we're seeking wisdom, when we're seeking knowledge, the only place that we're going to get it, the only place that we're going to get it, that it's really going to make us impact, that it's really going to stay, that it's really going to be truthful, is in the Lord. And so whatever you're going through, whatever you need, seek Jesus first. Wisdom to navigate through this life and the obstacles that we have in this life are only found in Jesus, in his word. When we hit stuff and we're trying to figure out how to navigate through it, we go to him. I just lost my job. Now what? Seek Jesus. My marriage is struggling. Now what? Seek Jesus. I feel like the bottom of my world just dropped out. Now what? Seek Jesus. 
That's the only place that we're going to get true wisdom and true knowledge. And as we seek him, as we dive into his word, as we go to him in prayer, he's going to give us that wisdom. He's going to give us that knowledge. In verse 4, as we carry on, says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Notice, deceive you with persuasive words. Paul didn't want the believers in Colossae to be deceived by, by persuasive words. They were clever with their words then, and they're clever with their words now. The cleverness that they come, yeah, the way they, the way they communicate it, maybe they have outlets that they didn't, the way that they communicate it really hasn't changed. I'm sorry, the way they communicate it has changed, but the, the clever words, the deceitfulness in it hasn't changed. And that goes all the way back to the garden, doesn't it? The serpent in the garden with Eve, did God really say? There's always some new way, some, some divisive way to pull our eyes off of the Lord. And how many people even today, it goes all the way back to the garden, but how many people even today are trying to deceive you? They get their, their 20 minutes of fame on YouTube and they spend that whole 20 minutes trying to deceive you, trying to pull your eyes off of the Lord. They become your friend on Facebook. Maybe, I don't know, I, I have friends on my Facebook. I really don't even know who they are. They walk past me on the street and I wouldn't even know who they are, right? And yet, Sometimes some of them post after post after post of deceitfulness, of lies, of things to pull our eyes off of the Lord. And then it's not even enough, right, that it, it doesn't even have to be some type of media that we're taking in. They even start with our kids in schools, lying to our kids in schools. Well, there's not, there's, not, there's not a creator because, because there was this evolutionary process. And, and you see, in the, in the course of a couple million years, it went from goo to you. So now, all of a sudden, you, we exist and there's no creator. Buying into that, taking our eyes off of the Lord, even at a young age of a child. All these different persuasive words. Anything that the enemy could use to distract. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that he's here to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's going to do anything he can in order to do that. And the whole time that they're using these persuasive words, they have one desire. And that one desire is to take our eyes off the Lord. All they say, all they do, is for that purpose. And the enemy gets behind it and he uses it mightily. Verse 5. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul says, though I can't be there with you, I rejoice with you because you are in order and steadfast in your faith. That although false teachers are trying to get in, that they, the believers in Colossae, were steadfast and in good order. Would he be able to say that about us in our homes? As, we, as he would look at our life and he would look at the things we got caught up with in the past year, 
if he would go through our social media, if he would see what we posted, if he would be able to hear those conversations that we got so upset, maybe we even stormed out. Maybe we even said, I'm not going back to that place. Maybe even friendships and, and families divided over politics, over whatever it is. Would Paul, if he were to write to you, if he were to write to the church of your home, be able to say that he's encouraged because of your steadfastness and your faith? The word steadfast could be translated as a firmness or in a military sense, a solid front. In a time like this where division and accusations come, it's when we need to be steadfast and solid. We need to be steadfast and solid, but we need to be steadfast, listen, church, and solid, not in the wrong things, but in the love of Christ and who he is and the work that he's done in us and the work that he's done through us. But we see something else here that Paul was knit together with them through prayer. If you look over real quick, um, in chapter 1, verse 3, even as he was opening this book, he says, we give thanks to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And because Paul prayed, because he cared, he, he cared for them, he rejoiced in the good things. So I have to ask myself, who am I praying for that way? Who am I praying for with that steadfastness? That Am I even praying for my enemies in that way? Am I praying for those who I know struggle that I would be able to rejoice that they were steadfast? Am I praying for my enemies so much that, that I would be able to rejoice as they, as they would turn and give their hearts to the Lord? Am I praying for my enemies so much that maybe the Lord would show me it was my heart? That was wrong. Verse 6, as we continue here. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, as you received him, how did you receive Christ Jesus? How did you receive Jesus into your heart? You received him by faith, right? And Paul says, don't move away from the simplicity and the loving of the Lord. That we would want to remember our first love. As we walk in him, we want to remember the simplicity and the zeal that we had as a new believer. Even as Jesus would talk about the childlike faith, do we have that childlike faith as we're walking out our walk in the Lord? It says, so walk in him. The word walk can be defined as to make one's way our progress. So even as we think about walking, as we're walking, if I'm walking somewhere, I'm making movement, I'm making progress. And there's an expectancy in our life that we're making forward progress in our faith. That we're growing in our faith. That even, even as Paul would write in one of the other books where he's able to, um, where, where he can't give them the meat yet because he's still giving them milk. Are we growing in our faith? Are we able to take in the meat of the word? Are we able to take in the, the meat as the Lord would give us things? Or are we just stale? Steady. I'm good. I'm comfortable. 
It's easy for us to get that way and not even realize that that's where we're at. But we need to have this growing progression in our faith. And we're not commanded, notice, to walk in whatever is going on, but notice to walk in Him. Can we honestly look at our lives and the things that we're walking in and say they are of the Lord? Have we taken up another cause and allowed something else to distract us? Friends, as we look at things, and, and I get it, we, we really get involved in these things and we have the heart that we really think, and even we might even think it's a godly thing that we're fighting for. We might even think that, that I'm doing this for the Lord. But even in that, let me ask you, when was the last time you stopped and prayed and asked the Lord, Lord, am I really fighting the fight that you would have me to fight? Or am I caught up in just arguing and trying to win this argument and trying to prove a point? Are we known more as a follower of Christ or a follower of some political party or some type of movement? To answer that, what I really need to look at to see it, what, I'm, what I'm pointing them to is what flows out of my life. Because am I always, am I, am I caring more about the things of this political party or that political party or this agenda? Or am I caring more about the things of the Lord? What is it that flows out of my life? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Friends, are we walking in a way that we want other to, others to follow? Parents, as we look at our little kids and we see their childlike faith, and we see the, the simplicity in their love and their joy? Are we, are we following something that they would, are we giving them an example that we would want them to follow? Would we want them to jump on our bandwagon? Husbands, are we leading our wife in the things of the Lord? All this Paul would pin here after an exhortation to walk worthy in the Lord. Back in chapter 1, verse 10, he says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Next, we see that we're to be rooted in Him. See, what we're rooted in is going to show by the type of fruit that we have in our lives. The roots of a plant have several important functions. One of, the root, one of them is that the root system takes in oxygen, water, and nutrients from the soil. And so what it is that we're taking in, what it is that we're spending hours upon hours researching, what it is that we're spending hours upon hours and all these videos watching is going to be seen by the fruit that we bear. Because you see, if we take in the negative fruit, then the fruit that we're going to bear is going to be rotten fruit. So where are we getting our substance? Social media, consistent news? Are we so indoctrinated by what we're taking in that we've allowed it to take over? As we research things and follow things, are we hiding in fear or shouting out in anger because the latest article we read or what someone shared? Do we allow what we see to take that much control over us, to take that much control over our lives, 
that some may even doubt that we're believers. Guys, we can't spend all of our time digging into the things of the world and expect people to see Jesus in us. Whatever our focus is on is what will be seen in us. Because see, the natural product of being rooted in Christ will be fruit in our life. The good fruit, right? The fruit that we would read about in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit. Joy, love, hope, peace, long-suffering. All those things that we read about as the fruit of the Spirit. That's the type of fruit that's going to come through our life as we are rooted in Christ. It's hard to say that I, that I have a desire to have peace when I want to just blast every post you make, when I want to put down everything that you do because your agenda is different than mine, because, because your view is different than mine. Roots also anchor the tree in place. This resisting the forces of wind and running water and mud flow that comes with storms. You see, a healthy tree or a plant is, growing to, is going to have healthy roots that anchor it in. Have you guys ever pulled a weed that didn't really seem like it wanted to come out? I know I have. A few years ago, I went to the store and I bought a, a bag and it said, it said, uh, um, weed and feed on it. And so, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to kill the weeds, feed the grass. This is going to be good. Threw it on my lawn. And a couple days later, I wondered if I misread the bag and it said, feed the weed. Because all of a sudden I had all these weeds coming up in my yard. And, you know, and you'd go to pull one and maybe, and maybe it would break off and then, and then you would, you know, have to get something out. And so I finally go to the store and I get this little thingy-majig. And by the way, that's a good biblical word, thingy-majig, right? And you, and, and I st- you step on it and give it a twist and it, and it pulls out the, the weed. It, tw- it twists the roots off and, and pulls out. And, and sometimes those weeds are crazy, you know, the roots on them are crazy long. And it's kind of like, like stick something down there, see if maybe I get some oil out of it or something, right? And those, those weeds, although they're something bad, but they have their roots, which give them that firm foundation. And you see, the world tries to pull you out. But if you've dug your roots in him, it is impossible for the world to do that. It's going to try much like I tried to pull that weed and, and, and the head of it just snapped off. It's going to try. But if you've dug your roots in him, it can't. Because no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. If we're rooted in the wrong things, though, what will happen when the storm hits? What happens if you're rooted in your job, you're rooted in your career, and all of a sudden the company closes, you get laid off? You're rooted in your retirement, your 401k. I'm just finishing off these last few years. Life's going to be easy. And then the stock market crashes. And in one day, you lose tens of thousands of dollars. That's where you've put your hope. That's where you put your trust. That's where you've dug your roots. It's going to feel like you've lost everything. Kids, we, we, we have kids and we love to have our kids in all these activities and we spend 
days and hours running them back and forth and, and mom's taking some here, dad's taking some there. And then all of a sudden, this time of year, now we have graduations and all those things are gone. But that's what we were rooted in. A trail, I'm sorry, a trial or a storm will show if our roots lack depth. Ultimately, a tree or a plant without roots will die and not bear fruit. And much the same, if we're rooted in the wrong things, our spiritual life will suffer and we'll be easily pushed over. We're not only to be rooted, but also notice built up. The word built up means to build upon like a foundation. So even when we think of of skyscrapers, right, the taller the building, the deeper the foundation. And this deep foundation is holding the building firm. In Matthew 7, Jesus gives us a comparison of someone who, of some who, has a, who have built a solid foundation versus someone who built their house on the sand. One fell and one stood. You see, they both went through a storm. In fact, they both went through the same storm, didn't they? The rain and the wind. They both went through the same storm. But the one whose foundation was weak, fell. Same storm, different outcome. And storms will come to believers and non-believers alike. We will face them, but the difference is, who are we rooted in? And who have we built our foundation upon? If we're rooted in Christ, we've built our foundation upon Christ, yeah, we're still going to feel the pain of it. We're still going to go through the hardships of the storm. But man, so much better to go through those storms. So much better to go through those trials in Christ than it is apart from him. So in that case, the deep roots and the strong foundation result, notice, in us being established in our faith. Established in the faith, this is no doubt talking about having a firm foundation in your faith. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it reminds us that we need to be in the word. We need to be growing. We need to allow scripture to reveal to us who Jesus is. And notice, abounding in it with thanksgiving. As we abound in thanksgiving, how can we help but to grow closer to him as we are thankful for who he is? And so even as we look at these last couple scriptures here, as we, as we look at these last couple scriptures that we were in, we see an interesting picture of our spiritual walk. Warren Wiersbe on this section puts it this way. By reviewing these pictures of spiritual progress, we see how a growing Christian can easily defeat the, em- the enemy by not being led astray. If, he is, if he, his spiritual roots are deep in Christ, he will not want any other soil. If Christ is his sure foundation, he has no need to move. If he is studying and growing in the word, he will not easily be enticed by the false doctrine. And if his heart is overflowing with thanksgiving, he will not even consider turning from the fullness he has in Christ. A grounded, growing, grateful believer will not be led astray. 
And may that describe us. May we be a grounded, growing, grateful believers. Continuing on now, verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So after an exhortation to walk, to be rooted, to be built up, to be established in Jesus, Paul says, beware, lest anyone cheat you. The original word speaking of robbery, and that's what false teachings do, doesn't it? False teachings and getting caught up in junk will rob us of the joy, the simplicity and the joy that we have in our salvation that we had as a new believer. And notice how he says, They'll try to do it through philosophy and empty deceit. We don't need the thoughts of men because we get plenty of that. We just need, God, we just need God's word. You see, it's the thoughts of men that really is, is the moral compass that the world uses, right? Because it's God's word that says what's okay to do, what's not okay to do. It's God's word that defines what is and isn't sin. And a lot of times what God's word defines as sin, the thoughts of man say it's okay. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 says this, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You guys, don't allow man's thoughts to make you doubt God. Don't allow man's thoughts to make you doubt his word. And notice these things were the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. He's the final authority. We don't need to cave into a culture that tells us that we could self-identify with whatever we want to be. We don't need to cave to a culture that's going to do whatever it can to turn our eyes off of the Lord. Continuing in verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Paul here confirming the deity of Jesus. Notice, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead, that Jesus is 100% God. And then he speaks of his bodily, speaking of Jesus as a man, that Jesus 100% God and 100% man, that he was here in the flesh. Jesus in the flesh, knowing our emotions. So even as we're rooted, as we're built up, as we're seeking him, he knows our emotions. He felt them. We even read that Jesus wept. Jesus, God, wept. So that means it's okay when I weep. Next notice. You are complete in him. Not some rituals, not some philosophy, not the latest report to come out, but, root, but complete in Him. The same one that we're to walk in, the same one that we're to be rooted, the same one that we're to be built up in, completes us. 
I'm so grateful that the Lord completes me. Not a job. I'm not completed in a job. I'm not completed in a, in a political party. Not completed in money. Not completed in whatever other activities I may have. But I'm completed in Christ. Notice at the end here, verse 10, who is the head of all principality and power, that Jesus is the creator of the universe and spiritual beings, and Paul here declaring Jesus' authority, that the one who is above all, we can, be, we can be unified, rooted, built up, and established only because we're complete in him. And if you're here tonight and you're like walking and, and rooted and built up and complete and who's this him, what are you talking about? You need to know that Jesus loves you very much. Maybe you decided to come in to check out what, what happens in this building on the corner of Hampton and Biscay and it's a group of believers coming together to worship Jesus. And we come together and we're able to say that we're complete in him because Jesus came and he lived a perfect sinless life, dying a horrible death on a Roman cross. And that death on the cross, paying the penalty for my sin, for all of our sin. And that penalty had to be paid because the Bible tells us that we've all sinned. And so maybe you're here tonight and you're like, what do you mean my sin, dude? You don't even know me. And you're right, I don't. But I know my Bible. And I know my Bible tells me for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that all includes me. And that all includes you. But I also know that Jesus, even as we read the Godhead, bodily came, experienced a horrible beating, his bloodshed paying the penalty for our sin, dying on that Roman cross, and three days later, he rose again. And friends, he did that for you. He did that for me. And so if you're here tonight and you don't, have, you don't know what all this is, you'll have an opportunity here in just a few moments to accept that free forgiveness that Jesus had, that you, as we all are, may be unified, may be rooted, may be built up, and most of all, may be complete in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us your word, Lord. Jesus, we thank you that we could be rooted. We thank you, Lord, that we could be built up and encouraged in you. And Jesus, we thank you that you're complete, that we're complete in you, Lord. And Lord, perhaps there's some in here tonight and they don't know that they're complete. They've been so caught up on whatever agenda has been going on that their eyes have been on anything else but you. And Lord, you've called them here tonight to learn that they can be complete in you. And so if that's you in here tonight 
and you would say, I need to be complete. I know there's something missing in my life. And I know that, I, that whatever's missing is making me incomplete, and I want that. I want this love that you talked about. I want this walk that you talked about. I want this completeness that you talked about. He's giving you an invitation right now to receive that. And so if that's you, I would invite you to stand and allow me to lead you in a prayer. A prayer acknowledging your need of Jesus. A prayer acknowledging your need to be complete. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we shall be saved. Is there anyone in here tonight who would say, I'm ready to confess. I believe in my heart. Maybe you're downstairs, online, on the radio, even on the radio. You don't have to be here in this room to accept Jesus. You could simply say something like this. You could say, Dear Jesus, I confess to you that I'm a sinner and I repent. I call upon you, Jesus, to be my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, I want to be complete not in myself, but in you. Jesus, I give you my life. Take it, Lord. Mold me. Use me. I surrender all to you. And I will follow you, Lord, from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you, uh, if you said that prayer, um, maybe you're here in the building, you didn't stand up or you stood up and, and I didn't see you. At the end of the service, um, some of those pastors, prayer team members will be up here along the front of the stage. We would love to get some information in your hand. We'd love to, uh, walk, to walk through a little information with you. Um, maybe you. Maybe you responded online. You could, you could go to our website, um, Calvary co.church, I think it's slash no God, and there's some information there. Um, we just want to connect with you. Uh, even if you didn't respond, you need prayer. We'll be up here after the service, and we would love to pray with you. So guys, be complete in Him. God bless you. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.